0: Meet the new Yelp at restaurants.yelp.com forward slash podcast. Now here we go.
1: People grow up in a disconnected world and our role as leaders in an organization is to train. And there's another old saying, which says you want to be fully staffed, which can be a challenge right now, but you want to be fully trained.
0: Welcome to Full Comp. A show offering insight into the hospitality industry. Featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators. Served up on the house. We know that there's restaurant tech out there that can make our jobs easier. There's also tech out there that makes our customer's job a bit easier too. But is there tech out there that can help us scale our organization, making a single unit restaurant run like one of the big guys? In short, the answer is yeah. And today we're chatting with Mike Connolly of Urban Plates. He's gonna break down the tech they built and the tech they used to scale their small startup into a competitive restaurant chain.
1: I was in the restaurant business and I was working for a large company, Bruce Chris, in the middle of the country in the East Coast. And a friend of mine came on board with Urban Plates. He's now the president of the company. And the company was looking to grow. I had had some trips out here to the West Coast. I had had some experience with it. I thought there's nothing like this anywhere that I've ever seen. So I was looking to buy some restaurants with a partner on the East Coast that fortunately, probably one of the best things that ever happened, didn't happen. And Joe said, hey, come on out and let's talk about growing this thing together. So in 2017, I moved out to San Diego and we started on the journey that has taken me where we are today. How would you describe the cuisine? Well, that's a good question. I don't think I've ever been asked that, right? Because it's a little bit of everything, which is great. It's almost easier to say what it's not, but it's a broad spectrum of Americana, which is a blend of cultures and flavors and textures. I would say it's rooted in organics. And then very good for you ingredients. And then it's rooted also in scratch cooking. And that's one of the things from the beginning. It's in a book that we have that's called Our Promise that we will never stray from, is that every single thing we do, which is unusual for the kind of style of service that we are, which is fast, casual, and with the breadth of the menu, is made in-house except for our bread. So we make our own mayonnaise or aiolis. We make our own sauces. We make our own marinades. We blend our own spices. We bake all of our own pastries. So then it runs the gamut. We're allowed to be very free and open with what we choose. So we have things on the menu like Moroccan chicken braise, which is also would be called a tangine. So a very African flavorful, spicy stew to a classic beef bourguignon beef stew to a chicken club sandwich and a chicken cob salad.
0: It's broad. It's very it's, broad. Yeah. and it's very scratch, and it's very healthy, and it's very busy. And if you had told me before the first one opened, hey, we're doing this thing, we're gonna be somewhat general and overall concept, but super specific in terms of preparation and quality, and it's gonna have an incredibly accessible price point, I would have said, well, one, I don't think it'll be particularly busy because I don't think people are into healthy food, at least not healthy food at scale outside of just a basic salad. Which you know the tender grains and the sweet grains model provides, but you also won't make any money because there's just too much work that goes into it. And this is a company that is not only massively successful, but it's profitable. And I'm curious, how do you reconcile past performance within this industry with what you guys have been able to achieve? I think you have to be very wise on a financial side,
1: you have to be wise with the pennies, and that'll take care of the dollars. So. You have to invest in the business in a very wise way. You have to take care of the facilities. You have to take care of things. But the volume is what helps you achieve from a profitability standpoint. And that doesn't come by accident. You have to be in the right place, right? So it goes all the way back to the site selection, which we spend a lot of time on to make sure that the restaurants that we build are in the right places so that you have the opportunity to be with the most people who have the most desire to eat like we provide the food for at the most times. So we're probably not going to be somewhere where there's not a strong business presence because lunch business really depends on a lot of office buildings, things like that. But you also need a strong residential presence because that's your evening business. Now, I think the pandemic's changed that around a little bit. So some of our restaurants that are in the suburbs that weren't the busiest restaurants pre-pandemic are now very busy because people are working at home. So it's been a blessing. And then if you were in an urban center, you probably wouldn't be doing as well as you were pre-pandemic because there's just not the residential component. So there's always a little bit of luck involved in some of these things, but everything else is really about how you plan it and how you set it up to be, to start with the end goal, which is, Hey, we want to grow the company. And we want to provide opportunities for people and our investors. But I think the big thing is, is our teams want to be busy. I mean, I'm sure you have, I have, we've worked in a restaurant slow Slow restaurants are not fun to work in. They're very difficult, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's difficult. It's difficult. A slow shift is difficult. So, a nice, busy restaurant, it, it gets the energy humming and all those things happen. So, we do the things to make it feel that way. And that's part of the way you build out the restaurant. So, it feels good inside. So, people will come in and eat. And then, I think the last thing I'll say about that is much like other businesses, you're a little bit disruptive. And I don't think we were necessarily replacing other restaurants or really competing against other restaurants. Of course, you are to some extent. But we kind of took people out of the kitchen. I had some regular guests tell me that, that they spent you know, ungodly amounts redecorating their kitchen. But then they found it was cheaper just to come to Urban Plates and eat good quality, healthy, organic foods than going to an organic grocery store and buying a bunch of stuff that half of it was getting thrown away because they were two people. So maybe we're just competing against the time and kitchen, home kitchens. So I'm good with that.
0: Let's talk about technology because you guys were early adopters and early investors. Over the last 20 months, everybody's talking about technology, but you guys were talking about this two years ago, three years ago in investing and in building native tech. Can you talk to me about what inspired the Urban Plates app and the overall technological infrastructure of the restaurant?
1: I got to say, our founder,
0: both our founders,
1: Saad and John, and John is really responsible for the look and the feel, and he's got an incredible palette. They both do. But Saad's really visionary in the way that he connects the dots between the customer, the guest, and the product, and so what the restaurant is. And at the pandemic, when everything was going south, as an example, he had the foresight to say, we were just starting to look at an app, and and to build an develop an app, especially for a company of our sizes, it's like taking out a loan to build a new restaurant. It's that expensive and it's worth that much. And it was one of the easiest things we could have said, hey, we can save all that money. But we doubled down on it and did the app. And now the ease at which people use the app and then the ability to which you can talk to your guests and your loyal guests, it's exponential. So I think that was the vision. It's been huge for us. We actually just redid our website over the weekend, so we have a new website. So we're constantly looking at that from a guest-facing standpoint because we want to be able to talk to guests. One of the biggest updates was allergies and the ability to customize a menu based on diet, and we're still working through that. But people come in to us because, A, they know that we have the healthy ingredients, but also that we customize. So whether you have a gluten allergy, or peanut allergy, or on a paleo diet or keto, we can customize. And then you're able to use technology to make it easier for them. And that's a competitive advantage.
0: Oh, it's a massive advantage. I mean, it also helps with turn times, I would assume, because when I dine at the restaurant, I don't order at the counter. You just sit at a table. The tables are numbered. You order on the app, you enter your table number, and then somebody just brings you your food. Yeah. So you get to choose
1: how much you want to interact. And that's really important because sometimes you do want a little bit more interaction. You want to ask the questions and get a knowledgeable answer. And sometimes, hey, I'm in and out, or I, I want to order, and I don't even want to talk to anybody. I want it sitting on the shelf. I'm going to come in, pick it up. There's my name. Josh's order is ready. It says it's going to be ready at 7.15. I'm here at 7.15. I'm in, I'm out, and I'm back in the car, and off I go. So it's meeting the guest and the customer at as many places as they want to be, and uh, technology helps you do that. And then it helps you on the backside, too, because you're able to analyze trends and We're coming up on the trifecta of things in the next couple of weeks. And that's what we're using technology right now, which is we've got Super Bowl Sunday. We've got Valentine's Day on Monday. So you've got these two, depending on the kind of business you're in, but these two days that are the opposite ends of the spectrum in the restaurant. (laughs) How do you plan for that? So we can go back and look at that kind of data and say, hey, here's our best guess. And then you can also talk to those folks and if there's a a menu offering that you want to say, hey, for Super Bowl Sunday, which is typically going to be busy in a sports bar, but maybe not for us, we can target menu items that may be more party planning and things for parties. We can do that. And then we can also be prepared for Valentine's Day, which is, you know, huge day and it's on a Monday. So got to figure that one out.
0: The idea of a restaurant has evolved, especially over the last two years, but so is the idea of hospitality. And as you guys begin to implement and execute all of these technological strategies, these new service models, how do you define hospitality for your team and for your customers?
1: I don't think the overall concept of hospitality hasn't ever changed. And I go back to something an old boss told me a long time ago, is that all things being equal, people buy from their friends, right? So How you make those friends is really important. And the way in which we try to do it is, first of all, you meet the guest where they want to be, right? So it's time and use the technology. But the second piece is the facility that you're in. So I think we build restaurants that don't look and feel like what would be considered fast casual. So you feel very comfortable coming in with a date or in a business meeting or an interview or by yourself or with the soccer team, whatever works. So that's one aspect of hospitality that's not really the high-touch part. The last piece of it is really it's, and I've always felt this philosophy, and I think our company does, and fortunately, every company I've ever worked for is yes is the answer. What's the question? You do whatever you can do for the guest, and you make it about making things right because people come in, and I believe restaurants are places where people go to get away from it. They're there to feed their bodies, but... Oftentimes, it's a minute to relax and get something out of it. So our role is really to encompass that. And then that takes training because people grow up in a disconnected world. And our role as leaders in an organization is to train them. And there's another old saying, which says you want to be fully staffed, which can be a challenge right now, but you want to be fully trained. So we just did a round of some meetings with hospitality and we did a lot of role playing and we role play the fun stuff. But you role play the hard questions that people get because we deal with the public. And you learn by watching other people solve problems because you've got as many people are out there as as many different personalities. But we want to take care of people. And that's being intuitive. You know, when you're in a fine dining atmosphere, you have the chance to think ahead. You're always kind of anticipating guest leads. So we try and teach a little bit of that. A lot of us in our business at Urban Plates come from a fine dining background. So fortunately, we had that experience to go, hey, you walk to a table, you see somebody looking around, here's some things you can ask them. You don't ask them, hey, what can I get you? It's, you look like you need some more iced tea, or are you looking for a drink? or Are you looking for your party? You kind of learn to read people. And that's something that's part of education. And it helps people in what they're doing now, our team members in what they're doing now. But it also helps them in, down the road as they go on to either hopefully be with us or other careers.
0: And what does the roadmap look like for an Urban Plates employee? So they start, they're in the scullery washing dishes and then where can they go from there?
1: You know what? I think this is one of the things that I'm most proud of is I don't have the statistics right now, but every month we go through all of our folks in the leadership side and we go and we look at everybody in the business and we look at our rising stars who are out there and people that have come to us and we have several day one employees from 10 years ago that are now chefs, general managers, sous chefs with us, and then and beyond and working at the corporate office. So there's really the sky's no limit. I mean, we really, we're a meritocracy. And so when you work hard and it fits with what you do, the opportunities are balanced. I think one of the things that I've kind of learned, and I think uh, Mike Rowe and his work that he's done with his Micro Works Foundation is really shined a bright spotlight on the amount of opportunities there are out there for people who work hard and put their head down and do a great job and take care of both their teammates and their guests, that the sky's the limit. So I could be more proud of it. And we balance it, we hire people from without, but hey, the sky truly is the limit, so.
0: Prior to the pandemic, I could barely use my iPhone. I'm a restaurateur, not a tech guru. But over the last two years, we've seen that tech can play a vital role in helping us make more money and save money. And that tech can show up at some pretty unlikely places, like your kitchen sink. Dawn Professional is a detergent and degreaser that can help reduce your labor expense and your overhead on cleaning supplies through leveraging the latest technological innovation in cleaning products. Dawn Professional Multi-Service Heavy Duty Degreaser is specifically formulated to cut grease two times faster versus the leading food service degreasers while Dawn Professional Manual Pot and Pan Dish Detergent cleans 58% more pots and pans per sink, reducing sink changeover versus the leading competitor's professional dish Soap. Save time and money by upgrading to Dawn Professional Manual Pot and Pan Dish Detergent and Dawn Professional Multi-Service Heavy Duty Degreaser from P&G Professional. I had a conversation with Mark Canlis recently, and I asked him, I said, how are you luring talent? And he goes, what a terrible word to use. Like we have to lure people into this industry. And it's somewhat apropos because you're saying you're going to work hard, you're going to deal with a bunch of BS, but you're supported by this familial team. And I think there are all of these kind of abstract benefits to working in the industry that are really hard to define If you have the disposition for the industry, and I'm curious to know, at a time when it is so hard to hire, how are you, I wish I could find a better word, luring talent?
1: Well, you use technology. I mean, that's much like where the guest is. That's where the folks that are looking for jobs are. And you're right. This is probably the most challenging time that we've all ever seen. But at the end of the day, you have to go back and look at what you promise your people. And as I said, whether you're a small company or a large company, you probably have some sort of mission statement. And if everybody on the team is not living that mission statement, it's not going to be great. I think you're going to have high turnover. And we, as part of our mission statement, which we call our promise, and we redid it in the middle of the pandemic because partially we changed some of the service styles and obviously the business change, but we looked at what the core was. And it was always about Team member or the employee with us, and when that experience is great, everything else takes care of itself. So, yes, you work hard. Yes, restaurants can be crazy, and you're dealing with the public and all those things. But it also can be a whole lot of fun. And you walk in, and people are having fun, and there's an energy about it. And I don't care. It's the same whether you're five star or in drive through in a fast food. If people can have fun and be themselves, then you don't have to do as much luring. You probably still do to some extent, but I think your bait is better and the lure is more attractive. And the other thing is, is people stay longer. And that's uh, long-term, long-tenured management is the key. And everything grows from there. I tell you what, when you turn over people, that's a pain, and then the bottom line takes a big hit. So take care of your
0: folks. There's this line from Hemingway that I'm going to butcher who said, I'm sorry that I wrote you such a long letter. I didn't have time to write you a short one. And the reason I bring it up is because that brand promise, those core values, that mission statement, it makes it easier for everybody to work. It empowers your team and it actually makes it possible to have fun there because everybody knows what the destination is. In my restaurants, the brand promise was everybody leaves happy. And I didn't give a shit, what we had to spend, what we had to do to make it happen. Because there were service issues constantly. This is a very human enterprise. Balls get dropped. And I empowered every member of the team. If someone's unhappy, do whatever it takes to make them happy. I'll spend whatever it takes. If you need me to handle it personally, I'm happy to do so. But in empowering them through this singular vision, it led to less turnover. And it takes a long time to come up with a simple statement. Right? Something that everyone understands that isn't obscured by personal ideologies. Everybody understands, but everybody leaves happy means, and I'm curious to know one, what is your brand promise? And then two, what was the process that you guys used to come up with it?
1: It's in my briefcase, but I could show you. And so, really, right now, what we're looking at, to paraphrase it, is really truly what you just said everybody leaves happy. That does not disclude the team members. Sure. So that's really the biggest piece to piggyback on your Hemingway thing. Our booklet is, it's got some illustrations in there now, but it's 11 pages. So you have to really define those things. And when you say, I'll spend whatever it takes and I don't care. The first thing a lot of employees think when they get into a job is he can't be serious. Now nah, I know you're saying that, but you don't really mean that until you put it into action, or until you demonstrate it, or you give them examples. So that's that education piece. And I think the more you can do, and you hold up your brand promise in your book, whatever you may have, and then you tie that into real life examples, and you say, okay, hey, spilled in your life a bottle of 66 ports corked, right? You know, Okay, it's vintage of the century, $10,000, no problem, we'll comp it. Okay, that's one way. Or- Hey, we messed up a $10 meal. That's absolutely, we'll take care of that. And by the way, here's some dessert because we didn't take care of your meal. Here's some dessert to take home to your family because we want you to have a great day. Those all mean something and everything speaks to that voice. So when they built the restaurant, the first one, they realized they had this unique enterprise that was really appealing. It took them a couple of years to open the second one because then you had to go back and really say, okay. I want to define this brand promise because if I'm going to grow, I've got to have people now in two different locations all singing from the same song sheet. So that was a very detailed process. And as I just mentioned, we went back and redid it. We call it the promise. It outlines our promises to all our five constituents, starting with our team members first. So our team members come first, then our guests, then our community, then our team members, our guests, our suppliers and our investors. And all of those folks They don't all get satisfied at all the same time, but they're a part of the decision-making process. And we clearly define what their role is, what we owe them and what they owe us, because it's a two-way street for everybody.
0: I've been like a dog chasing cars for the last two years, trying to catch someone that has built out a subscription model that has worked successfully in this industry. It never fails that I'll find an article from three or four months ago, reach out to the owner and be like, hey, man, how's it going? And they're like, I discontinued that. That didn't work. At all, or there's too much technological infrastructure involved to do it. It was too expensive to truly launch it. And, you know, the back of the napkin way just wasn't sustainable. But you guys have launched a very successful subscription model. Can you talk about what it is and how you guys do it?
1: So, simply put, it's called Plate Pass and it's $10 a month you subscribe, and everything on the menu is $11 max. So, it's really simple. It's only done through the app. It's not available for delivery. There's additional cost there. It's available for pickup and then it's available for, as you experience, what we call order at the table or mobile dining, where you come in and you order. So it takes you out of the line and you order through the app. So it's very trackable. There's not a lot of human interaction with it. What we've found has been really successful about it is early on it was we probably traded people into that were using us at a high frequency level anyway. So that's sort of what you built your base on. And then we had a 10 year anniversary. So we gave out a bunch of free month subscriptions that really increased the base. But since then, it's been an organic growth period. And I think the one thing you have to look at, and I think the reason why most people abandon these things is that there's periods of time where it flattens out and you got to be careful that you just don't look at the bottom line because I mean, if somebody comes in, if our average entree is $17 and they're paying $11, there's two ways to look at that. I'm making $11 or I'm giving up $6. And if you start adding too many of the sixes, you're probably going to come up with a reason why you should discontinue it. That's not the way we think. We're thinking long-term. And so it's constantly evolving. We just had a meeting on it on Monday, and we're going to evolve to the next level of the way we need to talk to people to get more folks in, because that's really the hard part. People that use you a lot, sure, they sign up. They see the immediate benefits. But if you think about Amazon Prime, which is probably the ultimate subscription model, the reason people are there is because they can't imagine life without it. I don't have to think about a delivery fee. I get this free movie thing. So it's all the ancillary things that come with it that get you there. And that we're trying to take somewhat of that approach to make sure that, hey, you're in our set. You're already our, our customer. You're already our guest. And how do we increase the frequency and talk to you about more frequency? Because with any restaurant, people tend to have their favorites and they go to one thing. We want to introduce, Hey, you always get this, but maybe you should try this. And it's something they didn't even know we had. So I can't speak to what everybody else has tried to do. It's kind of a new philosophy out there, but we stick to our guns with things and we work them out and we keep trying and adjusting and we don't necessarily throw the new promise away. We'll keep working at it. And the one thing we do know is that the frequency can be three or four times more than a standard guest when they're on this platform with us. So they're hugely valuable and we can talk to them. So we're going to continue. And going back to all things being equal, people buy from their friends. Now, you know, when Josh comes in and he's a member of PlayPass, you go over there and Hey, Josh, good to see you again. Can do something nice for you. So that's the next step that we think that's really got some upside to it.
0: Well, that's what I was going to ask. I talk with independent restaurateurs constantly. I ask, you know, are you collecting data? And for almost everybody, it's on the roadmap. It's not something they're doing or there's a concerted effort to do it. It's not part of steps of service, but it should be. And for those that are doing it, many of them aren't actually leveraging the data, which is, as important as collecting the data, because at the end of the day, I think we can all agree, despite whatever tier of dining we find ourselves in, that a repeat customer is cheaper than a new customer. That if you can inspire someone to come in three times a month instead of two times a month, you just made a lot more money with a very light lift. And so I'm curious to know, what data are you guys focusing on? And then how are you responding to the trends that you're seeing?
1: Well, I mean, we have an outstanding marketing guru, a guy named Steve Greer in our department, and you can get lost in data, right? Because it'll tell you anything you want to know. So we collect everything from the transaction side. So that tells us where guest preferences are going. And that's really important because you need to design a menu or you need to design offerings that are appealing to the masses. But then really, to your point, the data is how do you get in touch with the customer? And obviously we're able with the app, you're able to and online ordering, that is provided a lot more information as far as the email addresses and direct contact information. That's really key. And then it's having the active and testing different ways to talk to people because like anybody else in the world, you get a million emails a day that don't mean anything to you. So the frequency of the email and the relevance of the email. That equals the impact. And so that's what we really measure. And we measure ourselves. And this is where you have to go outside and hire a brand agency to be able to tell you this. We measure on all the data points that say, hey, what's a standard open rate? Or what's a standard cost of acquisition? And they're able to tell us, hey, you're over-indexing or under-indexing. And then you adjust your messaging. One of the things that we discovered early on is we had an in-house talent that we hired as an intern. That could create these TikTok and Instagram, TikTok. And I'm not really great at that stuff. Uh, it, it's somewhat addictive, but I didn't understand it. And the ad agency came to me and said, Hey, you guys or came to our marketing department and said, you guys are really over indexing here. And whatever agency is doing your social media is doing a killer job. And we're like, that's our in house person. So we ended up actually bringing it all in house and it's been huge. And you don't necessarily understand it all, which is okay but it creates buzz out there amongst your brand. And then that translates into sales. And then what you're able to do is you go look and see what the things you're doing and where it drives your business. Because that's really where I think a lot of folks miss it, is they're out there blitzing something. And in the old days, you used a coupon, which was addictive in a bad way. But you could see the redemptions on that. Now it's a little bit softer. So you need that data to be able to say, hey, we talked about this, whether it was our cage free, antibiotic free chicken tenders, and we saw this kind of lift. So let's do more of that. Or we talked about for New Year's, we were talking a lot about how much protein or how to eat healthy in New Year's resolutions. And where we saw the lift, then that's what you lean into. But that's where the how you use the data on the back end.
0: I think that's a universal lesson for small and big companies, which is no one's gonna tell your story better than you. Over the years I've hired a dozen probably social media firms to represent me and my restaurants and my vision. But no one's going to tell the story better than you or your team, the people that are directly involved in day-to-day operations. Because I think what you said is true. People prefer to buy from friends and you become friends through shared ideologies. Absolutely. And we just had some great meetings. We were talking about hospitality.
1: I mean, the the culinary side is always great because people go do that. That's kind of part of the restaurant business. But Jojo, who does our social media, she was on the outside after we had the meetings and talking to some of the team members. And these are hourly team members that are hoping to grow with us about the hospitality and what they got. And those became real reactions. And not only are you talking out to your guests, but you're able to talk inside to the people that work with you too. And that can be almost more powerful than the external voice. And that's something that hey, empowered people just do great things for the brand. And you find these little things that you can celebrate inside your restaurants.
0: What does growth look like for Urban Plates in 2022?
1: For sure, we'll open, I'd say one to three or four restaurants this year. One definitely. And the next fourth quarter could get us three, probably two more. I think it really ramps up in 2023, which is exciting. And then we get back to our original growth plans in 2024. About the only difference we have from pre-pandemic is that we're really going to grow west to east. The supply chain and some of the realities that have come to roost in the pandemic allowed us to reformulate that and look at what's going to be sustainable and effective
0: for us. This is an industry podcast, and at the end of every episode, I like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Do you have any advice or words of encouragement you'd like to offer?
1: Well, like I said at the beginning, you want to have fun in this business. And I think the pandemic has taught us, hey, it can be challenging. If you've made it this far or you're thinking about jumping in, this is one of the best times because the lessons we've learned have made us leaner, leaner, stronger, more guest focused, more resilient. And in my 35 years in this business, when you stop having fun at it, you're probably not going to be successful. So have fun and empower your team
0: and best of luck. That's Mike Connelly. For more on Urban Plates, visit urbanplates.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Copel. You've been listening to Full Comp.